Hey guys, this week we feature Ian Everett of the band Solid Bronze on Performance Anxiety. Their debut album, The Fruit Basket, is a great, amazing throwback to 70s funk. So much so that it inspired me to try this in my funk voice. So here we go. Check out the funk all-star that made a guest appearance. There's also some horn work from Morphine Saxman Dana Colley. This Steely Dan-esque album took over a year to make, and in that time, Ian created some great stories and memories that he shared with us, including the story behind the name. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Solid Bronze Band. Follow us at Performance ANX. Merchandise, and I highly recommend you buy some, is at performanceanx.threadless.com. And let's get the fuck out of this intro and into the show with Ian Everett. Uh, this is Ian Everett from Solid Bronze, and I'm here on the Performance Anxiety Podcast. I had to help my wife try to connect some Bluetooth stuff, and it wasn't detecting it on her phone, and uh, we just kind of gave up. So, <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, it's like I like I rarely trust anything without wires, you know. Oh, yeah, tell me about it. Uh, <laughs> it's. Uh, I don't know. Technology, I'm at the age now where it's starting to pass me by, I think. My kids know all about it. Uh, it's hard to keep up, man. It's, yeah. Oh, it really is. It really yeah. is. Uh, again, I really do appreciate you spending some time with me and, and uh, taking me through the recording of the debut album. And before we get too far into it, I, I want to know a little bit more about you and how you got into music. Now, you're from New Jersey, right? Correct. Yeah. All right. Whereabouts in New Jersey? Um, I grew up right outside of Trenton. Okay. Um, so that was where I spent most of my life, my formidable years. Yeah. I, um, I lived in Jersey for about 13 years. Oh, really? Yeah. Right, uh, in Branchburg. So it's... North? It's like cent- right central. It's uh, it's like north, slightly northeast of Newark. It's... Um, okay. Okay. If It's... Right on the border between Somerset and Hunterdon counties. Okay, cool. So it's it's, it's in Somerset, but literally a five minute drive, and you're in Hunterdon. So cool. So I was talking uh, with a mutual friend of ours about going to the Princeton Record Exchange. I used to do that Hell all yeah. the time, and that was my favorite place to go ever. Yeah, my favorite record store in the country. Yeah. Oh, it really? Is. It's it's yeah. I it back. I used to go there back in the nineties, and. Uh, God, I would go there with like 20, 30 bucks and come out with 15 to 20 albums, all promos, yeah. promos mm-hmm. from the radio stations and all. It's, yeah, yeah. Because PRB was probably yeah a lot of stuff in there too. Oh, yeah, yeah. It would be all the uh, like the cardboard case uh, promos and the, and the, mm-hmm. the cutouts. Yeah. And it, oh, man. It, it was a dream. Yeah. And that's how uh, I found most of my favorite album, most of my favorite bands, is going through there and finding something that looked cool. Right. I mean, just shopping by judging a book by its cover, which is like exactly. You <laughs> know, but you're not supposed like, to do apparently, but yeah, no, I always, I never quite agreed with that. You know, <laughs> uh, I mean, you can kind of know by looking at something like at least what to expect a little bit. Yeah. You should, I think. You should know what to expect by looking at the cover, you know? Well, that's – and that's one thing that that with electronic downloads and all has really, really uh, suffered is album art. I used to be drawn in by album art and yeah. oh, that looks amazing. Let me, let me get it and listen to it. And mm-hmm. with downloads, you don't – I mean you might get a piece of art with it, like, a, like some kind of album cover with it, but you don't even really get to see it until you download it. Yeah, and there's something different about seeing a like a 12 by 12 inch square of art versus like a thumbnail, a JPEG that's been <laughs> passed around on the internet, like yeah. off Kazaa or something, you know? Yeah, exactly. It just has, yeah, it, it's a physical piece of artwork, you know, versus, right. Even if it's a high quality picture on a computer, it still like doesn't exist really in front of you, you know. Exactly, and that's what I try yeah. to explain to everybody. Is if if it, I don't feel like I own the the record or the the album if I don't actually have a physical copy of it. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it could you just disappear. And, and, yeah, and then right. it would like it, yeah. something happens to my computer and all of a sudden it's gone. You know, I, it would take yeah. something catastrophic to lose the 3,500 CDs I've got downstairs. Right. So anyway, I don't know. That's, that's my, anybody who's listened to the show before has heard me talk about that. But um, what kind of, what kind of music were you growing up on? Um, a lot. It was a, a real wild ride. Oh yeah, in, uh, in the past for me, like it's just come up now more than ever, maybe. But like my first love of music was like rap music, like hip hop in the nineties. Okay, like Tupac, Jay Z, like DMX, that oh, mid nineties era. You know, my yeah, first CD yeah. ever was Usher's debut CD. Oh wow, <laughs> My Way by Usher. Yeah. So it was like, because that I think was becoming like, like pop music kind of, you know, like I used to watch like BET at the time. Okay. And that was like my first like conscious choice of music. Um, and I think it's come up a lot because now like I realized a lot of what I liked before was just like old funk records. Technically, because a lot of it was just old samples of stuff that I right. either realized later or like, you know, uh, you realize that later on down the line when you're not like 10 years old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah. So that was kind of my first foray into like finding something that was like, that I connected with. Um, and then when I became a teenager, it turned into punk rock. Okay. Um, which around Trenton, there was a lot, going on when I was getting into high school yep. and a lot of like Elks Lodge shows and like church basement church shows. Did you ever go um, up to the, uh, the shows up in New Brunswick area, the, like the melody um, and, and those areas? Not that early on. Okay. Yeah. Like I knew about him, but I couldn't drive. <laughs> yeah. I had a, a friend of mine was in a, he, he was pretty deep in that scene. He had a couple bands in there. Uh, uh, guy named Alf Bartone. He, he's in a band X number five, uh, Muscalunge, some like late eighties, early nineties, New Brunswick, New Jersey, hardcore, New Jersey punk bands. Uh, okay. he, he was friends with the uh, bouncing souls and, and all those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. A lot of the stuff that was early on was like, it's all just like kids from my high school or like, I remember seeing My Chemical Romance play. Oh my gosh, yeah. Like in the middle of a show, like they were just guys. Yeah. And two years later, I was like, their album was out in the store. I was like, I just saw those guys. Like, oh, that's the weirdest uh, feeling, man. Really weird. Yeah. And like, what a weird band, you know, they just, yeah. it went in an odd direction too, but it was, a, they were just like kids, you know? It's yeah, it, um, it's it's amazing to see that that progression from just you know a bunch of guys playing at a like you said like at, at an Elks Lodge, and then all mm -hmm. of a sudden something happens, they get a deal, and and they're everywhere, and it's yeah. like it's no time flat, right? And I think like at that time, like there were bands like Saves the Day, right, that yes. were around. So like there were just kids from Princeton too, and I guess that's how kind of all the punk bands were because like. When it's a fad, they'll just you get signed, yeah, or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah so like the shades apart, and yeah, for me being vision. a kid, it was like, whoa, these guys are just like, you know, big time in a band. It's like, no, they're just guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just saw those guys like last week at the Melody. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and then uh, you know, now I realize that that's very true. Like everybody's <laughs> just just guys right like everyone's just like exactly. a regular old person yeah exactly yeah. so at what point did you start playing music um when i was 14 i, I started to learn to play <clears throat> to play bass okay um my cousin and i like started up a little band idea which was like my brother playing drums on like a stool, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> um, literally playing a stool as a drum. Oh, wow. And then just kind of like morphed into like then meeting a drummer. Um, so like half, half of high school was like kind of like real kind of punk songs. And then 
you know, being in high school in the like mid two thousands in New Jersey, there's just like genre upon genre upon genre of music. Right. So it was like, Oh, like a post hardcore band, like a screamo emo band. Like, you know, there was just a lot going on a lot of different, like, sub-genre types of music that you had to either like you were into some but not all of them oh yeah and you can go down crazy rabbit holes with that yeah so that was a weird time (laughs) to make music but like we found like something cool that we liked and whatever um but i played bass all through high school in uh in in those bands um and didn't really play guitar until i went to college i started to learn like acoustic guitar like nylon string oh wow finger picking stuff because my mom had an old guitar so you weren't trying to be just that like guy at the party playing guitars to pick up chicks you were actually trying to <laughs> learn how to actually play uh, yeah no never tried it and i doubted it would have worked anyway <laughs> um, but yeah like i would you know i had started working at a goodwill and was buying like Simon and Garfunkel records and Cat Stevens records and all that kind of stuff. So like, then I was like, Oh, Whoa. Like how the hell do you play Blackbird on guitar? You know? Oh God. Yeah. 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 Good luck. Uh, (laughs) I I tried, I was, and you know, I don't know if you know the comedian Mitch Hedberg, but Oh yeah. He, he said the basic, I, I took guitar lessons on and off for six months throughout my entire life. And mm-hmm. so I was, I was just trying in between just teaching myself. And I don't know why, because I don't know the guitar. So why am I trying to teach myself? Mm-hmm. So that my favorite Mitch Hedberg line is I was the worst. You know, <laughs> I shouldn't teach myself how to get, play the guitar. Cause I don't know how to play, <laughs> but th- yeah, uh, that, that Blackbird was one of the ones that I tried to, and I gave up almost immediately. I'm like, ding, ding, forget it. <laughs> so I plugged in my electric and just started making all kinds of noise. Yeah, oh, I could just use feedback. Instead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just, like, make a lot of sound. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I never took lessons. I uh, just kind of like learn songs either by ear. I'd just put headphones on and listen, or like look up tabs. You know? Yes. Which sounds like cheating, but like, hey, as long as it gets you there, like, yeah. Well, I and never you're actually to learning music. You are actually yeah. learning with tabs. You know, I mean, that's it's not. Yeah. And, and the, the funny thing to me is always when people say, I don't know how to do tablature. It's <laughs> the easiest thing on the planet. How, it's how it's pretty it easy. Yeah. So uh, I would highly recommend tabs to anybody who doesn't know how to play. Yep. Look up tabs. And, and now you don't have to worry about the uh, magazines coming out and hoping it is a song you want to learn. You just right. go to a website and they've got, you know, 10,000 songs transcribed for you. Yeah. I just, I used to print them all out. I would just have stacks of stuff in the basement. Of oh, like, me too. Yeah. <laughs> all, uh, all those rancid bass lines I was going for back oh in the day. God. Yeah. yeah. That's, we, we, <laughs> I had, all right. And I had a little, little band in the, when was it? Like the mid nineties. We never played out or anything. Just me and two buddies of mine. Mm-hmm. And we similar situation where we had, uh, I played guitar and no lessons and no idea how to play. My buddy played bass, no lessons, no idea how to play. And yeah. my third friend, drums, no lessons, no cymbals, and no idea how to play. Sweet. So <laughs> it was yeah. it was a crazy cacophony. <laughs> we call it Super Karate Monkey Death Car. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, I, like, I like that stuff, though. Like, you figure out to your own... You fit into your own thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, you you like. <sighs> so I went to I went to art school, and um, part of what they taught me in school was like we're not going to teach you a way to to paint, right? We're going to help you find your own find the style that you want to find. Oh, that's what school did you go to? I went to University of the Arts, which oh, is in good. Center City, Philly. Yeah, 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 I'm familiar with that. I, would, I studied photography for, in college. Oh, uh, okay. So I went up to Rochester, and I wish uh, they had. Cool, yeah, yeah, I wish they had more of a of a curriculum like that, where we would help you find your own way. It's not the. It was an interesting school. Met a lot of great people. I'm still friends with a lot of working photographers. Still, I did it for ten years, but. It wasn't the best for students helping each other out. 
It was yeah. very competitive. And the, uh, yeah. the the professors I had were good, but it was the atmosphere was just really weird there. Yeah. No, it was uh we had a good time, a lot of support and stuff. It was a small school. Yeah. Um, but it was a pretty good environment to figure your shit out. That's you know? good, man. I'm, yeah. I'm glad to hear that. Cause yeah. Being supportive to, cause you know, doing art for a living is hard enough, you know, just right. Oh you, yeah. <laughs> you need all the support you can get. So mm-hmm. is that, it's hard to do it. Itself. Yeah. It's hard to motivate yourself. You know? It really yeah. is. And it, you know, most artists are more about the art and not the money that they get from the art. So right. you need a little combination of both. I e- think. Exactly. So when yeah. a school can help you gain your confidence and also, you know, support you and then show you how, how to you know market yourself. That's a right. great combination. Yeah. So when did you meet your partner in solid bronze, George Miller? Uh, we went to the same high school. Um, he was like, we were in the same class, but we had a lot of the same friends, some same, similar friend groups. Okay. So we've known each other for, you know, since we were in high school, like teenagers. So, but we didn't really start hanging out. We were in a band together, um, like nine years ago, eight years ago, <laughs> something okay. like that. And then that was when we really started like. I was like, oh, shit, like this kid can really play. Awesome. I think we kind of like bonded together with like similar interests and similar kind of like feel in the band. And but we've known each other for a while. Yeah. The band Solid Bronze. It's it's just basically just the two of you, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, at its core. OK. Yeah. And what's behind um, the name Solid Bronze? Um, honestly, it is so hard to find a band name that doesn't exist already. <laughs> well, you got next time you guys can use Super Karate Monkey Death Car. I won't. That's <laughs> I won't say anything. Uh, now that I know it's available, yeah. Right? Sure. <laughs> um, it's tough. Honestly, that was a stressful time trying to come up with it. Um, I bet you come up with something you think is cool, and then you're like, oh, "Great." Yeah, three other <laughs> so, bands have that. Yeah, yeah. We're like. You think of something and then the next day you wake up and you're like, ugh, <laughs> terrible. <Yeah>. Like, <laughs> it's almost so. to the point where it's got to be something really bizarre. Like I have a friend of mine that is in a, a two-piece – it's like a two-piece math rock band. But mm-hmm. it, they they couldn't come up – they had the same issue where they, they had a hard time coming up with a name. And they they each came up with a word and put them together and that was the name. It's Science Penguin. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know – how that happened, but I don't think those two words have ever gone together before. So yeah, um, the fact that you guys came up with something that sounds awesome, like solid bronze. <laughs> I mean, it sounds humorous, but you know, it sounds like solid gold. No, we bronze. Yeah, right. Not quite there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah and like wanted to like keep it as simple as possible to like we've had some complicated band names in the past that are tough for people to remember and like, oh, gosh. uh, just kind of like pretty easy. You hear it, you remember, recognize it or something, or you could search it easy. And, yeah. Um, kind of landed on it eventually and, and it stuck. So, so now we mentioned that the band is just you and George, is that on purpose that you wanted to keep it just the two of you or is it, is it was just hard to find somebody else to to that that fit your the style um it was by design um okay. originally we were just going to be like the the original idea was like we'll just record some songs like a no pressure band like okay no shows yeah. <laughs> no like no like if 50 people hear it that's cool but just to kind of like get into our own thing and um, just record, which is like my favorite part about making music anyway. Oh, okay. So um, it just, it sort of snowballed into some other stuff. Now, uh, were you guys in different bands at this time when you started working on Solid Browns? 
No, we had we were in a band that um, that ended. Okay. And then I was sort of at a point where I was like, all right, I'm about to turn thirty. I could probably stand to like kind of throw the towel in. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> mom, like then you get a job. Yeah, like I was like thirty is like you know you're either all in or all out for it, and like um. I was like, I could like take a break, man. I've been playing in bands for like years and years. Right. And, uh, you know, how many New Brunswick basements can you play? <laughs> like that, you know, it, it yeah, becomes it. like a, like a chore. Um, that makes sense. You're just doing it, you know? So like we were like, yo, let's just, we'll take that aspect out and we'll just record when we want to do it. And it'll just be like, two people making a decision, you know, like streamline it. And, um, you know, we have friends that are musicians of too, like recording, you could do call somebody in, like you could kind of just build it that way. So it's kind of like a steely Dan approach. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. All right. That's cool. And now you guys took a while to record this album. It, It was about a year, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like a year of recording. Um, we so we got hooked up with Mickey, uh, with Dean Ween, who produced it through Chris Harford, who co-produced it. Okay. Um, who like I had met, I'd worked with him a little bit at our job. Okay. And he's like a legendary guy in our area been around for a long time playing and um oh ween's amazing yeah right and he hartford's been connected with them since ween sort of got started so him and and dean are tight so when we called i called in chris hartford and he was like well maybe i'll produce it like i don't know if i see myself adding what you guys want to this project and i was like all right that's cool Right, and he was like, "Oh, I think Mickey would like this," and I was like, "All right, I mean, who knows? That's like a far fetched thing." Yeah. And then next thing we know, we're like recording, uh, at his studio. Wow. And it was just going to be we'll record the rhythm tracks and like whatever we can up there, and we'll just finish off the rest at home, you know? Okay. Which we did. And then he was like, yo, I want to like help you guys like really finish it. Oh, awesome. Um, so we were like, I mean, yeah. Yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah of course. Uh, yeah. So like it was pretty much meeting up like once a month for like 10 months or close to a year, just like kind of knocking out different things. Okay. Um, and... It was, it was cool that way because we had time to sit on things and listen to it and go like, maybe this doesn't work or like think of another idea for like, well, maybe we, I hear this on this track where I think if you, yeah, if you like kind of record, I mean, you could record in 10 days, right? But like, that's how you feel within 10 days, how you feel in a year's time, like you can really kind of like work some stuff in or out. You know? Yeah. You, you get a chance to let the songs breathe and, and develop. Yeah. And mostly, I mean, it was based just because everyone was busy. Like he was playing a lot of his record. had just come out. Um, Mickey's. So he was playing a lot of Dean Ween band shows and, okay. uh, Ween was actually playing a good amount during like 2017. Okay. 2018 when we were recording. So mostly it was just a schedule thing. But I think it ended up working out in our favor. Well, anyway, the the album is awesome. I've been listening to it for days now, and I I, Man, I love it. It's really <laughs> cool. It has got this amazing seventies funk sound. Did you guys get a chance to use vintage equipment on that to get some of those sounds or is it a, mod, a lot of modeling? Um, 
I mean, our instruments are not like like vintage, really. I mean, my bass is the same bass I bought when I was fourteen. That might so. be vintage now. I don't. Yeah, yeah. I guess kind of. <laughs> Forgot about the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but mostly, I think it's just like that's where our heads go. Like, okay. You know, that's sort of where that's the kind of stuff that we listen to mostly. Or like, it's what we sort of at least wanted to like. That was sort of what we bonded over to start playing music anyway. Okay. Was like love for Sly and Curtis and P-Funk and like Herbie Hancock and like oh, yeah. that kind of stuff where like, we we're like, let's see how we can like tap into that. Well, um, it's, it's just a, a cool album. It's, uh, I don't know lots about funk. And so that I'm, I'm a I'm kind of at a disadvantage talking about it. And, you know, I'm hoping maybe by the end of, of this talk, I'll learn a little bit more. Maybe you maybe even be able to steer me into some, some bands. When I tell you my favorite tracks off this album, you know, maybe some people mm-hmm. that I should listen to because of, you know, Oh, I love this song. So I'll oh, check out these guys. But yeah. you, now you also had a, a lot of guest stars on this album. Uh, people coming in Correct. and you out on vocals and, and whatever. Um, I'm trying to, let me see. You, you've had, um, uh, like you said, Michael Hampton. Um, yeah. Glenn McClellan. And, but for me, the coolest guy on this list is Dana Colley from Morphine. Yeah. <laughs> that, how did you, how did you uh, get up with Dana and, and get to work with him? Um, that was a Chris Harford connection. Um, him and Dana were actually like, were in college together oh, and they had a band back when they were in college. Um, and they stayed close and, and connected. So obviously before there were any horns on it, it was like, well, yeah, we got to have horns on here. Right. Like, and he was like, I think Dana would be the guy to, to do it. God. And so he was like, just send him some stuff. So we, we never like, sat in a studio with him, but somehow it was like even more magical to send him a song and then get back like legitimately 10 tracks of saxophone that he had just whipped up. Um, and yeah, I mean, it it would be a totally different album if it was not for that, those saxophone tracks. Oh, absolutely. Now who, who's doing the vocals on a lot of these songs? You've got a lot of, different styles going. Yeah. Um, and that was on purpose. Okay. Um, yeah. For the most part, they're all written by me and me and George. Um, and I just didn't see me by myself singing all of them. So, I mean, there was some guest vocalists on there. Um, a great woman named Carol Brooks, who's like a local that sings with, with Mickey and, and, um, up at John and Peter's a lot. And then actually my fiance's sister is the other female singer. Oh, cool. Um, So that just kind of like worked out. And then I just, there's a lot of effects on my voice too. Like there's, a few songs where the, the voice is deep. That's now, really me deepening my voice. Who's doing the, the main vocals on Invisible Man? So that is um, Clue. Okay. Who, his name is Chris Lewis. And um, I worked with him for a couple years, a couple years ago. And... We had like sort of collaborated a little bit back then. Okay. Again, Chris Harford was in the mix with this too when we were working together. And uh, when we were doing this project, I was like, it would be kind of cool to to ring in like some newer R&B with obviously like some more older R&B that we were doing. Right, right. Um, and again, send him a track and he that was the first thing he recorded to it and sent it back 
I I love that track. That is such a great track. It just kind of fit. It was the perfect move because I didn't know what to do with it vocally. And I knew that he would have like a totally different way of going about it. Oh, yeah. It's 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 a great song. I mean, it sounds like it's kind of like if Isaac Hayes was in Twin Peaks. (laughs) It's, you know, it's I I love it. I think it's a great, great sound. And it's got that great uh, Charles Pitts guitar sound. it's you know for I from Isaac Hayes it's just it's really it's it sounds like you, you could have pulled it right off of uh, off of by the time I get to Phoenix or something it's I love it <laughs> um, yeah well that's that's Michael Hampton on the guitar solo which is I think like his mo- his most funkadelic sounding moment for us yeah um, well that and that's yeah. one of the things I wanted to mention the guitar and me being more of a of a rock guy. Liking funk but not knowing a whole lot of it, the guitar in it, I, I get you know I, I get that skip pits. I get that, like it sound like Eddie Hazel kind of a sound, mm-hmm. it's just, and it's it's amazing. And it, it, which is one reason why I wanted to, I, I would ask if it was all vintage equipment, is because it sounds mm-hmm. like it's right out of that time period. Um, yeah. I mean, there was one night where we were going up to the studio, and I got a text from Chris Harford, and he was like. Yo, Hampton's coming. Uh, I didn't even know, and I was like, "Oh, I just like instantly got nervous." I was like, "Oh man, (laughs) shit." (laughs) Um, And so he, I don't even remember the amp he was playing out of, but he had his amp set up in the other room, and he just legitimately sat there in a chair and played over stuff for like i don't know two hours oh my and he, so he's played <laughs> with parliament and funkadelic and, and it's, oh yeah yeah tales of kid funkadelic yeah that's Man. him that's God. um that, and that that just lends that that's you know legitimate 70s funk feel to it yeah because it's a legitimate picked from the 70s yeah from best band of all time oh yeah, yeah. probably using the same equipment he he played with <laughs> for 30 years now um, yeah, I mean, that was a crazy night among the most memorable of recording was, I mean, I'm sitting feet away and just kind of like God. trying to, to sort of understand what's happening. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that is like the same guy who plays the guitar solo on knee deep, oh. you know, like, <laughs> Jeez. um, I mean, we got very lucky with these things, you know, uh, Dana being willing to, willing to do it and and doing like such an amazing job with the saxophone. And Michael Hampton lives, he's pretty local to where we are, which is oh, cool. crazy enough. And he wow. knows Mickey and um, him being willing to do it was, it was like, you couldn't think of it even happening, you know. Yeah. Until, until it's happening in front of you. Yeah, like, yeah. Being a fan yeah. of that type of music, you know, having that kind of a of a presence in the studio helping you out is just it, yeah, you know, yeah. kind of blows game, your mind. Game changing, yeah. So you've and I've mentioned this several times, you, you guys have a, a just a legit seventies funk sound. Was there a, a time where you, you were having a hard time getting the sound you wanted, or did you have to do anything strange in the studio to, to make it sound like you wanted it to sound? <laughs> Um, no, no, (laughs) honestly. Yeah. There really wasn't like, that's awesome. We, we played, I mean, all the songs are pretty much written me and George bass and drums or guitar and drums and then built from that. So 
I think starting with with such a rhythmic like core, I think maybe that has something to do with like maybe how it sounds so much to be like sounds so true to that era, you know, yeah. like um, because we're focusing mostly on how the rhythm moves through the song. Okay. Um, whereas like you know you play a little something on an acoustic guitar. And then add some drums on it. It doesn't quite have, it's hard to get that, like that big feel right. to, to the rhythmic aspect. Yeah, that, makes, uh, that makes a lot of sense. And so when we were kind of getting into like sort of getting into this stuff, I was like, man, I'll just like, let's try to write as much on bass and drums as we can. And then it's easier for me to hear a guitar part on top of that or George okay. to see where he, you know, we kind of collaborated on, I'm hearing this here, like I'm hearing this on this one. Now, um, now when, you, when you've got something like Michael Hampton in the studio, or you know you're going to be sending tracks to Dana Colley, are you telling them what you want, or are you just letting them just come up with their own material? Um, it, it started out as, like when I sent Dana some stuff, I was like, hey, I'm kind of like thinking about this here, this here. And giving him these like sort of a little abstract ideas of like something I was thinking. And then I would get something back and just go like, Oh, I don't need, <laughs> is, it, <laughs> is it right or not? Like, it doesn't matter. Like it's just insane. It right? just sounds good. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Oh, well, <laughs> did he pay attention? Did he not? Like, doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then I kind of realized it was just like, yo, just, take it and run sort of um, Hampton. It was just kind of like, well, I see you playing here. So he would solo on one part, but he would kind of like play through the whole song. Oh, so cool. I kind of like picked out in editing what like to use and not, okay, which to think you would not use any of his guitar parts, but yeah. like, you know, how to kind of like weave it in and out. Um, okay. So pretty much, yeah, we just sort of let what was going to happen happen. And um, I think that's how you sort of can get the best results anyway from in that scenario. And so the album is 10 tracks long and it is called The Fruit Basket. Is there any anything behind the, the title of the album? Um, well, the original name for the band was The Fruit Basket Band. Oh, okay. Um. And then there's a lot of negative feedback about the Fruit Basket I can't imagine <laughs> that. Ultimately, uh, it was a decision of like, all right, it's, we got to change it. So then <laughs> we were like, that was where a lot of the turmoil of coming up with another band name was like, well, obviously no one had the Fruit Basket band. Right, yeah. But <laughs> what else do we have now? Um, so in turn, we... You know, made, gave a little homage to the first name by calling the album "The Fruit Basket," which that's great. You know, afterwards you're you're like, well, the, you could put some meaning in there if you want to. You know, you could, yeah, you can put it. wasn't intentional. It wasn't there in the first place, but you could see it there. Yeah, I mean, we, we could have changed it at any point, but it was like I, it makes sense that it to call it that as yeah. well. You know, the album, like I said, it's got ten tracks. It, were, is there anything left on the cutting room floor? Any, did you, uh, did you, cause you spent a year in, you know, working on and on it and recording it. Is there anything that didn't make the cut? Nope. Oh, awesome. That's, no, that's yeah. now, you guys did do, uh, you get Lee scratch Perry to do a, a dub mix of invisible man. How did that come about? Uh, it had absolutely nothing to do with me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, are the 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 albums coming out on um, a label called Schnitzel, which puts Schnitzel. out a lot of um, like repressed Ween records. Oh, okay, mostly. Um, so Mickey knew um, the guy who runs that, and again, luckily he was into it and, and was down to to sort of work with us. So 
he had an idea at one point of, hey, why don't, what if we did a remix of a song? Like, that could be cool. And I was like, automatically sort of think like, uh, like a, <laughs> like a Jay-Z Linkin Park remix. Like, uh. <laughs> but then I was like, oh, well, what if we did like a dub? Uh, so I was like, what if it was like, sort of like something like Lee Scratch Perry, you know, like a dub mix. Yeah. And he was like, well, I don't know if, it, you know. I don't know about Lee Scratch Perry, but yeah. we could get somebody. <laughs> and then, like, slowly it became like, oh, getting Lee Scratch Perry is, like, an actual option. Wow. Um, Jeez. And he knows a lot of people in the labels in the UK. So there's, you know, some connections with Jamaica and uh, a lot of reggae heads over there. And um, somehow <laughs> it ended up happening man uh, which you know just pile on another astonishing moment you know well listening um, to invisible man before hearing the dub mix and 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 then afterwards it makes sense it's, it almost seems like that was an, a natural way to go with that yeah um and that song especially i mean there's influence of dub music and in the original song. Right. Um, you know, adding the echo, making the bass very pronounced during, you know, the, the sort of spoken part and just different stuff like that, where you're kind of lit when I'm list, sort of listening to dub that I was like, all right, I could like, I could use these, I could steal this stuff for this song. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, just so happens. It sounds pretty good. Yeah, it's a dumpster, right? <laughs> <laughs> it does. The uh, my now I'll, I'll tell you the, the tracks I love. I like I told you that I love Invisible Man. I mean, it sounds like something Isaac Hayes would do if he was still making music and you know alive. Mm-hmm. There's also uh, Swangin'. That song is fun. That is really cool, and it, the guitar solo at the exit is fantastic. Yeah, I love that. Who did that? Uh, that's Michael Hampton. Okay, that's. Yeah. It because it sounds like something right out of out of his we right right in his wheelhouse. It's just yeah. Um, I think that's actually the first take that was recorded of the first song that he played on. Oh wow! Yeah. Jeez. So we we had it going with another take for a while. I was like, yeah, the third one I think is the best. And then I was like mixing and I listened back and I was like, boop, no, we were wrong. One's <laughs> the best one. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like, again, just crazy to, to even think about, but if I like fits so, so well with that sort of second half of that song too. And you've got, you guys have some great instrumentals and and longer instrumental passages that are very, um, psychedelic. Uh, it's almost like, like a, like Pink Floyd does funk or jazz. It's, it's just, uh, you know, songs like bronze magic, um, The uh, mumbo jumbo and like the old saying goes, Paradise Lounge. The, mm-hmm. Those, those are my favorite tracks off the album. It, th- those songs make me want to put the album on, you know, have a cocktail party, eat some barbecue. I don't know, just put on some leisure suits. I don't know, but it, it's <laughs> it really it, it, it's it's music that I want to share with people, and it's just wow. it's really really cool. Like as soon as I heard it, I told my wife, I said, "You get, all right, I'm playing this for you." Cause, and I don't I don't do that with everybody that I interview. I'm like, you got to hear this because you're gonna like this. So it's it's great music to just, to, you don't have to be a fan of a specific genre to like, you can play, oh, it's, it's a metal band. Like, you know, well, I'm not going to play that for my wife, but yeah. <laughs> this, this is music you can just put on and have a good time to, because it, it's just easy going. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate that. Yeah. And I think that's like something that I didn't, it wasn't conscious but it's just all of our 
unconsciously. It's it's all the things that we like that we you know right. wanted to try to to make. You know, um, it, we're not jazz musicians by any means. <laughs> but I was like, how can we play a jazz song without actually knowing how to do it? Well, you, um, you guys nailed it. I mean, it's you've got some great smooth jazz sound to, to a bunch of these songs. It's you know some of it like. Like I had mentioned, mumbo jumbo and bronze magic—they're kind of like a, like funky world music almost. It—it it reminds me of those two tracks in particular. Remind me of one of my favorite bands in the '90s. You know, a lot of bands were doing side projects at that time, and and mm. there is a band uh, called Tuatara, and I don't—it was uh, Mike McCready from Pearl Jam. I think Peter Buck was in it. Barrett Martin from Screaming Trees. And they had a whole bunch of horns. Uh, Skerrick was in it, Scary Kickson Carney. Okay. And they, that's, their album sound like, specifically like those two songs and it's just, it, it's so, it, it was a lot different, at the time it was so much different from what I was listening to, which is, mm. you know, a lot of heavier stuff. And when I heard your, your music, I'm like, all right, yeah, I, I like this. This is, <laughs> this is, it's not what I normally listen to, but it's going to be. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's sort of something that we're, I'm finding a lot with, with people's reactions to it as well. Like that's good to hear to make something that like, you know, if you don't really love rock music, it's not like a complete rock record where every song is like in your face, but there's guitar solos in it. Yeah. (laughs) There's like, um, you know, like a keyboard solo or like just a long dirging groove song, you know, like, um, and George and I are into like so many different things musically that like for it all to come together and still sort of sound cohesive, you know, without like, um, we wanted to, it just sort of comes out that way, you know? Um, well, it makes sense. You know, you got so many influences; it's it's gonna come out, and it it probably won't come out as a straight rock song. Yeah, um, I mean, I've played in enough like rock bands and psych bands and stuff like that. That like for and this is probably the same with the band from the nineties. It was like when we do something that we also like that we never get a chance to play. And so it's going to have like elements of like, again, I don't know how to uh, write a jazz song, say, right, you know, right. but um, I can take what I know and turn it into fake it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or just, you know, like add the needed elements to make something that I would like to listen to myself. Yeah. Well, you're making, you're making your own sound, really. You're making stuff that you want to listen to. Yeah, combine everything that you like into one thing that you hopefully also like. <laughs> well, yeah, this yeah. Th- the album makes me want to go back to the seventies, and there's really not a whole lot of stuff that makes me want to do that. It's like, <laughs> it's like this album, old baseball, football cards, and big wheels, and that's that's like <laughs> those are the only things that make me want to go back. <laughs> but uh, glad to be a part of that list. Yeah. Well, I I mean I I'd love it. Now, how can people find you on, on social media and how can they pick up the album when it's released? Um, yeah, so we're pretty active on Instagram, which is a solid bronze band. Um, and same goes for Facebook. Okay. Um, and we're on Twitter, but neither of us have ever done that before. So it's (laughs) like, uh, it's a little bit maybe daunting to start, yeah. But you can find that through through Facebook. Solid, solid bronze. All right. Um, and where can they find the? Uh, where? How is the album going to be released? It's going to be all streaming platforms, and it'll be in the stores. Awesome. Um, awesome. So. I don't know exactly which stores per se. Um, but it's going to be worldwide. So it'll be 
all over in Europe. It'll be distributed throughout the U.S. Um, and it'll be Spotify, Bandcamp, things like that. Excellent. Yeah. Well, it I've been lucky enough to be able to to hear it, and when it comes out, I will definitely be getting myself a physical copy. Maybe if I make it up to Jersey, I can meet up and get you guys to sign it or something. Hey, sweet. Meet you at Princeton Record Exchange. There yeah. you go. Oh, awesome. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I'll bring some of my old stuff and I can trade it. Yeah. <laughs> and thank you yeah, so much. Store I, credit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was always what I got anyway. <laughs> never never wanted the cash. I always got the, the No, credit. yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah. There's something else in here I can find. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have one more question I wanted to ask. And uh, yeah, I didn't think about this until just now. Um <laughs> Are you guys going to be supporting the album by playing live at all? Uh, that's like an aspect that's been the toughest so far. Worse than your name? Um, what's that? Worse than trying to find the name for the band? Uh, actually, yeah. <laughs> I'd rather try to find a new name. <laughs> um, yeah. I, as of right now, there's no tour planned. Um, we're still working out like live band and lineup. Um and that's been pretty tough to find just like guys that are local that aren't playing constantly also. Yeah. Um, just because it's like a specific kind of thing that it calls for specific players right. basically. Um, but we're getting there, uh, and got a couple of shows coming up, um, in August, but cool. trying to work out like a release show, um, where we can play like sort of for the album release. And uh, honestly, the album is great. I, I, I've thank been, you, man. Thank you so much. I've listened uh, to it several times. <laughs> uh, amazing to hear. Yeah. I really appreciate it. So, all right. So I did ask you this before, uh, knowing the songs I like. So my favorite tracks mm -hmm. are, let's see, uh, bronze magic, uh, invisible man, paradise lounge, like the old saying goes, and mumbo jumbo. Cool. Who, sh who should I go look for now? Um, working my way backwards from you back to the seventies. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Um, there's a band that I just started listening to because I couldn't remember how to spell their name. <laughs> it's a weird name. It's called like Krunga Bin. I want to say. Oh, is it Krumbin? Is that how you say that? Yeah, K H R U. -S. Yeah, yes, yeah. I do know those guys. Okay, that's a great band. Yeah, that shit rules. Yes. Um, and I just recently found that out. Yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. I, yeah, yeah, I, I found and that stuff is like, and they just put out a dub record, like a of their last record. So yes. Yeah, I just got that I'm notification. About, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, man, I see, can see some similarities here yes. between like what I feel like I'm doing and what I hear them doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they've got that. They definitely got that vintage sound. It's yeah. And just like three people, you could pull that off with three people like that. Amazing. There's something going on there for sure. Oh, and that, yeah. Um, and the other, I guess, Wolfpack. Do you know them? That sounds familiar. I think I've. I think when I was watched a Crumbin video, they uh, something for theirs was like, oh, if you like that, then you'll like these guys. Probably, I, yeah. I, so I've seen it. I don't think I've heard it yet. Yeah, they are like, I mean, just really tight, okay, and great players. But there's not a lot of like modern. Um, like funk bands that are doing like quite so similar stuff. Right. Whereas like, um, you know, there's a lot of more sort of like, uh, maybe like electronic funk throwbacks, like damn funk. Okay. Um, okay. who I like a lot, but he's more of like. Uh, like an '80s, like boogie kind of guy. Okay, know? okay. Um, now, is there someone with synthesizers? Okay, okay. Is, is there something? Maybe somebody you, you listen to, and it's in like the Isaac Hayes Parliament Funkadelic thing that that's maybe not as popular as those guys. That that might be a good listen. Um, 
Because this album's yeah, really got me one to, re- to to dive into this stuff now. Yeah, yeah. Um, let me think. So, I'm trying to think of like what we were really into. The Meters. Oh, yeah, they're good. Yeah, The Meters was like a big one. Oh, um, Strut is one of my favorite. Oh, even my like Electric Miles Davis records. Okay. I, like, you, um, I, you know, I never really gave that a shot, so I'll have to look into that. Yeah. It's some of it's pretty far out, but if you can get into like there's a crazy set of like the on the corner sessions, okay. which like on the corner is like my favorite Miles Davis because it's like, I mean, it is like fucked up. Okay, I'll definitely <laughs> but, check that. Out. Yeah, like really cool, odd, like bass and drums, um, and then the box sets like. Just hours and hours and hours, you know? <laughs> but it's a lot of extended stuff. So, like you know, in regards to maybe something like mumbo jumbo, that was like me listening to a lot of like jazz guys doing like sidelong exploration, right? You know? Yeah, like, uh, Archie Shep. Okay. Um, there's an album called Pitchin' Can. Um, okay. and Pitchin' Can is just like one side of the record. Oh, wow. That's and, awesome. And, uh, you know, just like a slow moving, like, groove. And there's like a little harmonica in there. There's like some sax in there. Like, That's awesome. it was a cool time for jazz where guys were kind of getting more into, like, jazz guys getting into rock. Okay. Um, that's and they were kind of doing, like, yeah, stuff that's maybe, like, more palatable for guys who listen to rock music. Yeah. Yeah. Listening to like, uh, even like listening to love Supreme or something's like intense. If you don't listen to a lot of jazz. Yeah, exactly. I've, I've, I've got some Coltrane and and stuff that I listen to, but it's, Mm -hmm. I gotta be in the right mood for it. It, Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But, but there's, yeah. Like jazz funk stuff is, is like even Herbie Hancock. Yeah, um, and I'm not like thrust. I'm, I'm familiar with some of his stuff, like the like the early '80s Herbie Hancock okay. stuff. Um, the album Thrust, okay, is uh, one that was like definitely in our heads. Um, I'll definitely check that out then. And then you know the one with Chameleon uh, Headhunters. Okay. Um. Cool. Yeah, those those are pretty pretty pinnacle to uh for us when we were making the music for sure excellent those are the ones i'll definitely check out then yeah good great stuff i i will i promise i'll let you go it's been over an hour now all right and my pleasure half of this is probably gonna end up in the in the in the show anyway so cool (laughs) awesome man hey thank you so much my pleasure man It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hanson, Scott Barrett. 
Hurts, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at fantasy points. Fantasypoints.com code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.